Last year, I had the amazing opportunity to spend 10 days with my friend and his family in his hometown of Ichokurunji, which is four hours southeast of Pune. My best friend from childhood said, Ichokurunji? That doesn't sound like a real place. But indeed it is. In fact, here it is on the map. Although I started this channel to share with other people the insights that I gleaned from my time in India, it's taken me a year to really process what happened inside of me and to articulate that externally. However, I finally feel ready to make this video, and so let me take you to the magical land they call India. So the first big lesson that I learned from my time in India is be prepared. My friend wanted to brace me for the culture shock. Now, I thought, like, just push me into the deep end and I'll figure out how to swim, but he knew that I didn't know what I didn't know. After all, I wasn't exactly going for a tourist experience to ride an elephant to the Taj Mahal and take a selfie. No, I was going to the real, bona fide, middle of nowhere, no English speaking, no white people for days, middle of India. So my friend spent literally three years on and off preparing me for this trip. When we both still lived in Houston, he took me to Indian meditation groups. We went to Indian temples and festivals. And I had my first bites of delicious, authentic Indian curry. He also introduced me to some of my favorite Bollywood movies like Three Idiots and to the popular writer Chetan Bhagat, as well as more classical figures like the poet Tagore and the philosopher Krishnamurti. Now, I still had a ton of culture shock, but thank God my friend took the time to prepare me. Otherwise, I may have just lost my mind. So the second big insight I had from my time in India, I'll call Baby on Board. So the first night I was in India, I actually stayed in a swanky hotel inside of the Mumbai airport. We decided that Patrick would get pampered and coddled in a really nice atmosphere before he hit the open road of the Indian interstate the next morning. And as my friend drove me from the Mumbai airport to his childhood home, I got to see the real India. I took in scenes of people doing backbreaking work in fields, of children selling fruit by the side of the road, and of men being packed in sardines in the back of work trucks. I was feeling humbled and, to be frank, a little overwhelmed by the hard work that everyone was doing just to put food on the table. But then, my eye caught a beautiful young woman, well-dressed in a colorful sari, on the back of a motorcycle. My discomfort turned to joy and curiosity. I realized that the woman's husband was driving the motorcycle, she was sitting in the back, they were helmet-free, and in between them, in that beautiful sari of hers, was a baby. <gasps> My friend saw me freaking out and he smiled and just bobbed his head and said, Patrick, we're fine. They're fine. India's fine. We don't need help. They don't need saving. And one day at a time ever since, I've tried to remember that I don't need to save anyone, that everything is fine, that everyone is fine, even if it doesn't make sense to me. And I need to quit placing my judgments on other people and the way they live their life. Now, at this point, I still haven't arrived in Itchul Karaji. So we decided to stop at my friend's eldest sister home to have a delicious homemade meal. And as we enjoyed this dinner with all sorts of curries and chutneys and dal and rice and you name it, we had it. My friend's nephew asked, Patrick, if you're not married and you don't live with your parents, then who cooks your food? Well, I knew that in his family, eating out in restaurants was taboo and that generally the women cook for their family. So I messed around with his expectations and I said, well, you know, actually my mom cooks food for me every day and she sends it first class from North Carolina to Norway. 
My friend's nephew bobbed and said, well, my mom used to courier me food from our home to my hostel every day, so it's possible you just have to ask. It was an example of warm, playful ribbing at cultural differences with a family that truly loved and liked being around each other. I liked what I saw and I liked what I tasted and I wanted more. Little did I know that my life was changing and that I was having a spiritual experience alongside that semolina-based sweet dish with my friend and his family. And I think that's how spiritual growth happens. One conversation, one meal, one day at a time. The next lesson I'll call the giraffe in the hotel lobby. It's a nice day when you wake up in India and on that first morning, I woke up to the sound of birds singing and saw women on the rooftop chanting their prayers as I went down to the hotel lobby to check my email. All of a sudden, one of the young hotel cleaners was standing right over me and staring at me. At first, I was a little taken aback, but then I realized that he was just being curious. After all, it's not every day that someone looking like me shows up in the middle of nowhere in India. It's kind of like a polar bear all of a sudden dropping down into the tropics. Over the next hour, he brought other members of the staff over to talk with me and take pictures. And in exchange, they cooked me the best breakfast I've ever had in my entire life. I brought color into their world and they did the same for me. We were all totally engaged in our childlike creativity and curiosity and we learned from each other and gave each other positive, zestful energy. And I think that's how people were meant to interact. We weren't made to get angry over differences. Instead, I think we were made to learn and even delight in our differences. Okay, the next story I have for you is about Rangoli. So that first morning as I left the hotel and went over to my friend's childhood home, I saw all the women in the village doing something on their front doorstep, and he explained to me that it's the ancient Indian art of Rangoli. As they carefully spread their colored powder onto the ground, the particular pattern that they were making was the mandala, which represents the human relationship to the infinite, unknowable spiritual realm that's all around us, yet it is so hard to remember and access on a daily basis. Their efforts would no doubt be swept away by the winds of the day. However, they were attending to their daily spiritual practice with the same tender loving care as an artist preparing a painting to be immortalized in a museum. And each morning, they began their Rangoli again, just as diligently as the day before. While Rangoli might be the most visually appealing way to have a daily spiritual practice, seeing these women perform these beautiful acts of worship and devotion reminded me that I need to have my own daily practice. So ever since coming back from India, I have developed a very specific, intentional daily routine for myself that is my Rangoli. Now, perhaps one day I'll make a video about that daily routine, but for now, let's move on to the next story I have. Gratitude, not guilt. So in my work and my life, I often wax poetic about becoming who you truly are, which is the tagline of this channel. But in India, I saw people who were breaking their backs just to meet their daily needs. For example, as we traveled from my friend's hometown of Itchokarunji to a sister's ashram in Goa, I was quite overwhelmed with what I perceived to be daily hardships of many people that I saw on the road. I watched women line up at community wells to fill up clay pots and carry them back home on their heads. From my comfortable car seat, I saw low-caste untouchables living in tents while they were harvesting sugarcane for just rupees a day. And as we neared a toll booth, I saw a sweat-drenched man selling strawberries in the middle of eight lanes of traffic. My friend could tell that I was getting a bit emotionally riled up, and he said, Patrick, guilt doesn't help anybody. 
Some of these people are way more happy than anyone you'd ever meet in America because they're grateful for what they have, which is their family. They have their values and their priorities in line. So don't look at their lives through the interpretation of American standards, because there's a whole different system here. I remember that I was a guest in a foreign land, and so I should probably just listen to him and heed his advice. But what was I supposed to do with my guilt? How was I supposed to transform it? Well, I quickly filed through my emotional Rolodex, and I came to the one Hail Mary pass that never fails. And as I started to make a silent list of what I was grateful for, my mind shifted from a mindset of very closed, emotionally intense guilt to a more expansive realm of curiosity. And all of a sudden, I was asking my friend a million questions about how he could see the same situation that I was seeing, but in a different way. Guilt would have kept me locked into my existing frame of reference. But gratitude, on the other hand, expanded my understanding of the situation. So ever since my trip to India, I've tried to remember this moment. And anytime I'm feeling intense emotions that are sort of locking me down and skilling me into my own mindset, I try to practice gratitude and remember that when I can be grateful, curiosity arises, I expand, and I learn and grow. The next lesson from my time in India, I'll call mucky business. So on that same car trip that I just told you about, just as my guilt was replaced with gratitude, my gratitude was later replaced with joy. I absolutely squealed with delight like a little kid when all of a sudden, out in the wild, I saw monkeys. Now, to many people in India, monkeys are a nuisance. So my friend, his mom, and the driver all laughed hysterically at my reaction to seeing monkeys out in the wild. But they appeased me and we stopped by the side of the road by a beautiful waterfall overlooking a valley and I got my fill of monkeys. Then all of a sudden, a baby monkey came up to a neighboring car and that person made the grave error of feeding him a cracker. And all of a sudden, monkeys converged from everywhere to that guy. But my point in telling the story is that experiencing things for the first time is powerful. It sparks creativity, novelty, and it inspires us. As a result, our eyes are open and our soul is open to all sorts of new perspectives and new ideas about who we can be and what life can be. So a regular part of my life since coming back from India is trying to, in some small way, recreate the wonder of that monkey business. So on the way from my friend's hometown to the ashram in Goa, I went through guilt, through gratitude, and through joy. But once I got to the ashram, I had my very own eat, pray, love experience. We just so happened to be at the ashram the one day of the year that it was open to the public for a very auspicious celebration and festival. The worship service was in Sanskrit, which is an ancient Indian language. So of course, I didn't understand one single word that was said. As someone came up to me after the service and asked me as such. And my answer was very true in that moment, which was, I didn't understand it with my head, but I understood it with my heart. He bobbed his head as if to say, okay, Patrick, good on you. You got it. And we went off to a special hall to have the best lunch of my entire life. During that lunch, I was introduced to all sorts of different fruits and vegetables that I had never heard of, much less tasted. We sat on the floor we ate with our hands, and our plates were banana leaves. Once again, it was a day full of sensory experiences that completely overwhelmed me in the best way possible. And my favorite part of the lunch actually was the two people that were sitting on either side of me, my friend's niece and nephew. 
They were both college age and they had all sorts of questions to ask me about the U.S. And they also wanted to ask me, had I ever been to Domino's, which is their favorite pizza parlor? I absolutely loved the conversation and the food. And I just felt such a sense of love and well-being and positive vibes that I have sought to replicate in my life ever since that day. A few nights later, we were back in my friend's hometown of Itchel Karachi, and we were walking around the town late one evening trying to find a juice bar that was open. All of a sudden, I saw two very interesting signs right next to each other. One was a swastika, and the next was a rainbow flag. And all I could ask my friend was, um, are there gay Nazis in India? He smiled at me and said, Patrick, once again, not everything can be seen through a Western perspective. He told me that the swastika was in front of a school, and for India, it is a centuries-old symbol of prosperity, well-being, and good luck. The rainbow flag, on the other hand, was in front of a Jain temple. And he said, Patrick, that probably means nothing. In India, we just really like colors. As we laughed about my cultural snafu, I realized that we humans often get incorrectly upset over what we interpret to be the meaning behind other people's words and actions. But ever since that day, I've tried to start living more generously with my assumptions. And what I mean by that is this. I started asking myself the question, how would my life change if I started to assume that the underlying message behind what every single person did and said was fundamentally good? Now, that might sound a little bit Pollyanna or naive, but let me tell you, it has been a powerful question that has radically altered my life and created a lot of peace. So I would encourage you to try it as well. Now, on the last day of my inaugural trip to India, my friend gave me a sly look and said that we needed a capstone to the trip. And that would be getting a proper haircut and shave at an Indian barbershop. Now, let me tell you, it was an experience and a half. As I entered the barbershop, you could hear a pin drop. It was as though Patrick the giraffe had left the zoo and come into the barbershop for a haircut. As I sat down in the chair, the barber was vexed and asked my friend Emirati, what in the world am I supposed to do with hair this thin? And trust me, he was not the only person in that barbershop who had questions. It seemed as though every single guy in that barbershop converged around our chair and started asking my friend questions at rapid fire about this giraffe that was sitting in this chair getting a haircut. And as my friend played TV show host, the barber finally struggled through cutting my hair. And then he took out a razor blade and gave me a shave so close that I thought he was going to nick my jugular. Then he massaged my head with the fury of a thousand lions. I thought that I was going to die, but afterward, there was the most amazing sense of peace from that massage. Now, as my friend had his turn in the barber's chair, I headed off to a food truck nearby and got some samosas, thankful that I still had my neck intact. As I came back in the waiting room and sat down to eat my samosas, I could see all the guys in the barber shop looking at me curiously, the same way I look at a giraffe in the zoo eating banana leaves. I could hear them thinking, hmm, is a giraffe going to somehow twist his arm and eat food from the side of his head? And what exactly does he hide in those chubby cheeks of his? The level of curiosity in that barber shop was off the charts, and I loved it. I could tell that we were all becoming more curious and open-minded as a result of this happy exchange, and I left the barber shop with a fresh haircut and a fresh attitude. And I've decided ever since that day that when a giraffe shows up in my barber shop, that I'll be just as curious and inviting and welcoming to them as those guys were to me. Now, a few days after I left India and returned back to Oslo, I was invited to a very special festival of Holi. Holi celebrates the arrival of spring and the blossoming of love, and people celebrate it by meeting with friends and family and laughing as they playfully throw powdered color on one another. 
As an American living in Norway who was going to an Indian festival, I was a little insecure that I might feel out of place, but all of that was nonsense. Everyone welcomed me with open arms and we smiled, laughed, and danced to live music. And somehow, as the powder covered our clothes as though we were a collective Jackson Pollock painting, the God in each of us emerged. And once again, the happiness and creativity and novelty of this holy festival opened me up to all sorts of good feelings that I've tried to replicate ever since that day. Now, I know this video was a little bit different than my normal coaching videos, but I wanted to share with you about my time in India because I personally believe that actually going out and having experiences is much more powerful than any five-step framework or how-to book or even trusted advisor or coach. After all, the spiritual realm that helps us become who we truly are can't really be understood with the head as much as it needs to be experienced with the heart. And the way that my heart was transformed from my time in India is really impossible to put into words. But I hope that I gave you at least 1% of this powerful, amazing experience that I got to have.